Blog Talk Radio. Thank you for tuning in to ALRPRA's Law Talk Radio. I'm your host, Nick Augustine. This show is produced by ALRPRA Incorporated, a global law practice management agency headquartered downtown Chicago, Illinois, and serving greater Chicago, Los Angeles, New York, and Washington, D.C. We also connect domestic and international law firms for international legal issues. At ALRPRA, we help manage our clients' business so they can spend more time practicing law. Our primary activities are law firm public relations, marketing, and credentialing. We also offer a wide variety of practice management services to help you with all the back-end business of managing a law firm. Today's guest is Michael Halfend, and he is a Chicago attorney since 1997 with a focus on trying to change the way people find attorneys and legal information. In 2001, he launched www.findgreatlawyers.com, again a site, findgreatlawyers.com, a statewide network of like-minded attorneys who all speak in plain English and only pursue legitimate cases and fighting for their clients. Mike recognized the unique facts of the case should determine who the right lawyer is for that case, and his network makes sure that a, glo- that a goal, that a reality of the hundreds of lawyers he partners with statewide have achieved unmatched success for their clients. Michael is also one of the Chicago Now publication authors, and his blog, Chicago's Real Law Blog, can be found by searching under the Google tab by searching Chicago's Real Law Blog, and also the site is www.chicagonow.com forward slash blogs forward slash Chicago's Real Law Blog. We do welcome all our callers' questions either by email directly at nick at alrpra.com. Again, that's N-I-C-K at alrpra.com with Law Talk Radio in the subject line. Or please call in by dialing area code 917-889-9732 and press option 1 to be placed in the caller queue. The telephone number again is 917-889-9732, option 1 for the caller queue. Again, when calling in, please mute your phone while waiting to make a comment so that we can avoid background noise. Before we get going, by way of disclaimer, this is a general information program, and the advice shared on this show does not constitute legal advice, and results may vary based on your facts and location. Communication with attorneys on this show does not give rise to an attorney-client relationship. This programming is politically neutral, and objective counterpoints to views expressed are always welcomed. ALRPRA Incorporated does not necessarily endorse all of the opinions expressed by guests. Finally, all callers do remain confidential, and all rights to this broadcast are reserved by ALRPRA Incorporated. Before we get going, we have a quick announcement to read from you from Mary Erlane. Mary Erlane is a professional who works to help other professionals learn the skill of connecting the dots and removing barriers. This coming March 15, 2011, from 8 to 9.30 a.m., Mary will be conducting a hands-on Leadership for Women workshop for women rainmakers and leaders in business. This event will be held at the large boardroom at ALRPRA's offices at 35 East Wacker Drive in Chicago, and ALRPRA is also sponsoring your registration fees, making this a free event. So come by and enjoy a light breakfast and enjoy this pragmatic and acclaimed executive leadership workshop. Space is limited, so please register today by emailing nick at alrpra.com with women rainmakers and business leaders if you want to reserve your complimentary seat at this workshop. ALRPRA is a Chambers Business Suites tenant and also thanks Chambers for co-sponsoring this event. Now to our uh, subject matter today. Um, we're going to be talking with uh, Michael Helfand, and we'll be d- digging into uh, how he became uh, a pu- well-published and acclaimed author with uh, daily and, and frequent blogs that he writes, 
and uh, more information about Michael. So, Michael, how are you doing today? Good. How are you, Nick? I'm good. If we could just start off by uh, asking you to tell us a little bit about uh, the scope of your practice, uh, what you do, and the, you know, and the site that you launched, and then how you ended up uh, becoming uh, a frequent published blogger. Sure. Um, you know, I kind of always went into law school knowing that a traditional law practice wasn't for me because um, I get bored pretty easily. And no matter what type of law you're doing, it's pretty much the same thing day after day after day, whether it's divorce or car accidents or DUIs. And every now and then something, you know, gives you a little twist. Um, but it's mostly the same stuff every day, just different names. And so I always knew I wanted to find something a little more varied, but still using my law degree. And uh, while sitting in Australia with my wife and back in uh, 2000, I came up with the idea of, you know, what if we came up with a new way to help people find lawyers? Because at the firm where I used to work at, it typically was if someone needed a lawyer, like a friend or a client or whoever, and something that we didn't handle, we'd pass around emails or just, you know, go around and talk to each other and say, who do you recommend? But there was never really any thought put into it. And so what I decided was like, what if we came up with a way where we really treated people looking for lawyers like they were family members or friends and, and did it in the way that a family member or a friend would expect. And so I've got a statewide network of you know hundreds of lawyers that are you know very narrowly focused in what they do and um you know in my opinion deliver good service and you know have had great success. As far as like when did I start writing, you know, I hear so many interesting stories from people and things that you can't believe. And while a lot of the stories are, you know, hey I'm just need a divorce lawyer or a traffic lawyer you do hear crazy stuff about the cops have been digging through my garbage and I'm worried about that or, um, you know, whatever it may be. And I thought the public would like to hear about it. And I started uh, blogging on my own site. Then I was approached by Chicago Now as they, you know, read some of my blogs. And I transitioned that blog over to their site just for a little more exposure and, you know, the opportunity to answer more people's questions. It's a really interesting way that that happens. Um, I write for the Attorneys in Transition publication on Law Bulletin. There's a, a sort of a similar thing where um, I was also already writing on a lot of these topics, and it, it caught someone's attention. So um, it's a nice opportunity. It takes a lot of time, though. How often are you writing and publishing? Um, usually, and I have a another blog d- uh, dedicated only to workers' compensation cases because I know a lot about that because that's my background and. Um, I usually do about seven to eight posts a week altogether, and it usually happens that a client will call me, and you know I think something's interesting that they brought up, and without disclosing any of their personal information, um, you know I'll, I'll just throw something together, or I'll read something in the paper, or a lot of times I'll get questions from readers or emails from readers wondering, you know, what do I do about this? And you know if I think it's something that everyone would want to know, you know I post it. Well, it's a very similar thing to the content and thing that drive this radio program. Uh, Just in being out and very busy networking and being in the public, um, we find a lot of people we talk to are very interesting as well, and it drives a lot of ideas. So um, I wonder how much research, how much time do you have to put in to research to some of your stories, or how in-depth do they get? Do you have any uh, repeating things or series you work on? You know, uh, I'll do a lot of tips. It, it, that's probably the closest thing uh, I'll do to, you know, a repeating uh, story. But, you know, for me, like there was a, a thing a few weeks ago where a guy got fired for being a Green Bay Packers fan and wearing a Green Bay Packers tie to work the day after they beat the Bears in the playoffs. 
Well, you know, that's, that blog almost wrote itself because half the post was giving the background and then half the, post, the other half of the post was explaining what at-will employment law means in Illinois, which is, you know, basically you can get fired for any reason as long as it's not an illegal reason. And so something like that, you know, I wouldn't say there's a ton of research just because I've, you know, in running my website, I've talked to about 150,000 people in the last 10 years. I've gone over most of these situations before, and I don't write about things that the general public isn't interested in. So you'll never see me writing about like antitrust law or mergers and acquisitions or um, you know things that might be you know, relevant to someone doing you know a patent or whatever. Most of the stuff that I write on, uh, it, it doesn't require research because I've just dealt with it enough and, and it's of public interest. Okay, well, it's you know, in, things of public interest often have two sides of the story, and something I often hear a lot about is people looking for counterpoints, and it's a great opportunity for people to um, <clears throat> make their counterpoints on as comments to the blog. Do you would you say that when you're reviewing comments, um, you receive many com, uh, counterpoints, or uh, are most of the people commenting and agreeing with uh, the subject matter in which you're writing? You know, um, you, you certainly get more disagreements than um, agreeing. I'd say disagreeing ranks first, questions rank second, and agreeing rank, uh, certainly ranks third. Um, the most agreements you hear are where people say something to the effect of, I'm so happy you wrote about that, that happened to me, you know, and explain their situation. Um, you know, I did a post recently um, that referenced the fact that if a, you know, essentially if a police officer punches you in the face or in the stomach and there's no injury, you know, you could sue and you're going to get nothing. Um, and I also, I, in the post, I also talked about how if, you know, you get hit by a car and you just scratch your leg or if you get rear-ended, there's only property damage. Um, you'll never find a lawyer to take, you know, that case, just like you'll probably never find a lawyer to take the cop case, just because the cost of proceeding with a case is certainly worth more than, you know, the lawyer could recover for you. And so as a business decision, they'll turn those cases down. And that certainly, uh, you know, got a lot of negative comments. You know, certainly a few police officers saw it as an attack on police officers, which wasn't my intention, but I certainly understand why they felt that way. Yeah, it's 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 interesting to think sometimes about defamation. Um, I, I am curious as to uh, what some of the backgrounds in your practice areas, working as an attorney, um, drives some of the thoughts and decisions that you make on, on publishing and writing. I know, you know, me personally, I'm actually working with someone on a defamation case right now, and uh, so going through and being knowledgeable about um, some of the, you know, defamation and some of the other uh, cases in the false light and uh, privacy rights and everything is very useful uh, in writing. So uh, what is your, what's some of your background that's tied into that? Well, you know, I never, um, I, I speak in generalities a lot because, you know, you can't ever say this is how something's going to happen every time. And if I'm talking about something like the guy that got fired, you know, for wearing his Packers tie, you know, I'm just reporting public facts and that. And then I offer my opinion. Um, you know, I, I never say something like, Hey, you know, Tom Smith is a wife beater or, you know, so-and-so got fired because they were snorting cocaine and it turns out none of that's true because, you know, to me, that's not interesting. It's not proper writing and people don't want to read that type of stuff. Um, but, for, you know, for my blog, it's facts, 
telling what the law is, and then offering my opinion. And so, honestly, defamation is never a worry for me because there's nothing for me to be sued for. You can't be sued over your opinion. Well, you could be sued for anything, but no one's ever going to win a lawsuit against me, for my opinion. Exactly, exactly. I remember, it's funny, speaking of defamation, I just remembered – when when I was uh, I was at John I went to John Marshall Law School in the late 90s and they had a big rat that was blown up and outside one of the buildings that they were rehabbing and um, someone got sued over the placement of that rat. Um, do you remember this the big rat? I don't. I don't think I've heard this one. Yeah, it was be large inflatable, like a 20 foot tall rat, and it was outside one of the just just south of. Uh, Van Buren by Congress Parkway in Jackson, um, in that neighborhood, um, it, they were. T- it was some. It was a labor union dispute, and someone had beef with someone else, and they put the, the big inflatable rat there. Um, and it, they, they've used this. I've seen the rat in other locations before, and it's funny. People got, uh, got sued over uh, the placement of the rat. I suppose not funny for some of the people who were suggested right. that they were the rat, but <laughs> at any rate. So, uh, so I'm just go ahead. You know, with suits like that, I mean, people read about those suits and they might make a nice headline, but what people don't read about is the fact that most of those types of suits often go nowhere. And I don't know. It's, it, to me, it's just not a concern. And if someone wants to sue me, go ahead and sue me, I guess. Yeah, I suppose right. Um, well, and that's, you know, just you know, keep it neutral and, you know, change the names a little bit. And, you know, that's some of the things that I do. But at any rate, where do you get – so you say you, you source a lot of your content and stories – um, just by people you talk to, or um... yeah, definitely people I, I people I talk to. Um, you know, reading the paper a lot. It's a big one. I had a post, you know, this week about state's attorney layoffs, and what I try to do is take my spin on it because if you read, you know, the Tribune, the Sun Times, or whatever you're reading, it's just going to tell you that there are a, lot, a handful of layoffs at the state's attorneys, and you're probably going, huh? You don't really think about it. But what I try to do is make people think about how this might impact them and. In this case, with this, you know the state's attorney having 25 less prosecutors now, when their budgets are, or when their staffs already been cut to the bone, it's just going to make it easier to beat a criminal case. And that's really how I try to look at things: is not not just regurgitating a story, but you know what does this mean to you as someone who's reading it and lives in, in the Chicago area? Yeah, well, I mean, these are things that that are, are of interest to people, and I, I think that that's what people want. So uh, we're going to pause for a quick break, and then we'll come back and we'll talk a little bit about some of the stories. I want to ask you a little bit about the um, the suits against the city of Chicago. I think it's very interesting, um, having worked in, in law firms, receiving those calls sometimes. Um, it's just, Actually, I got a call the other day from someone who fell on a bus, um, and I'm not an active practicing attorney, but I gave it to uh, the guy whose office was next door. But the, the, these things happen all the time, and I think people think because it's the city, there's deep pockets there, and they're going to, um, you know, have a significant recovery. But it sounds like that's not the case. So we'll be back in uh, just a moment here with Michael, and we'll talk about some more of the stories. So for anyone who has just recently tuned in, you're listening to ALR PRA's Law Talk Radio. We're going to break for a commercial sponsor, and then we'll be right back with our programming. And our first uh, commercial sponsor from the day is the law office of Nancy K. Ducharme. Your business may be exposed to liability if your marketing materials and slogans infringe on another's intellectual property. 
When you need the right legal services to advance your creativity and guard against trademark infringement, call the law office of Nancy K. Ducharme. Attorney Nancy K. Ducharme brings big law firm experience and reputation to her intellectual property law firm, serving national corporate clients in the areas of trademark, copyright, internet law, and advertising law. You can find the law office of Nancy K. Ducharme by visiting nkdlaw.com and also by searching for the law office of Nancy K. Ducharme on Facebook. The law office of Nancy K. Ducharme is there for your advertising copy review. Get in touch with Nancy today by visiting nkdlaw.com. Now, back to our program. We do, again, encourage listeners to call in with any questions. The telephone number to dial in is area code 917-889-9732. Please press option 1 to be placed in the queue. You can also submit your uh, comments and questions by email or through our contact page at www.alrpra.com. Now, back to the show and back to Michael Helfland here. Michael, can you tell, you know, just uh, thinking quickly about um, listings, uh, can you tell us a little bit about your site um, moving forward, just because I don't want to forget to ask you about that. It sounds interesting. About my law, for, my referral website? Yeah, the referral website. Yeah, people come to me and they basically, you know, in confidence, explain their situation to me, um, whether by filling out a form or calling. And what I'll do is I'll listen to them and... What I think makes me different than other attorneys is, number one, I'll talk to anyone for free about any situation, uh, even if they just want to ask a question. Uh, number two, I talk in very plain English and very bluntly, which sometimes people like and sometimes people don't like, because a lot of people don't want to be told that they don't have a case or don't want to be told that there's nothing that can be done for them. Other people really appreciate it because you know, you know, they want to have straight answers and you know don't want to you know kind of get the little wishy-washy oh, you have a great case, but I can't help you type response that a lot of law firms uh, give. And so if they have questions, I'll answer their questions if I can. If I can't, I won't. If they need a referral to an attorney and I know someone that I think would be a good fit for them, I'll make a recommendation and tell them why I would hire that specific person or at least call that person for an interview. And if I don't know anyone for them, I won't make a referral. Um, like I said, I've helped about 150,000 people. Uh, April will be our 10-year anniversary and it's gone great, and you know people seem to appreciate it, and I get a lot of nice thank yous. And for me, it's a great uh, gig because, like I said, every day is different. And you know, today, for example, I've talked to people in car accidents and with divorces, and someone whose boss was stealing their tips, and all different scenarios that you know really make the day. You know, every every day, you never know what you're going to get. That's uh, exactly, and then when <laughs> I go so agree with you because you know when we do the radio program, <laughs> the same thing every day. I never know what um, you know. It's interesting every time the the BlackBerry beeps, what the emails got in it. So, can you give us the uh, the website uh, domain again? Absolutely, it's uh, www.findgreatlawyers.com. All right, great. So let's talk a little bit about this uh, article that you wrote. It's uh, posted uh, two days ago, uh, titled, The City Wins Even If They Lose. What do you mean by that? Well, you know, years ago, uh, the word has it that Allstate and State Farm kind of realized that instead of paying people, and, and other uh, car insurance companies too, realized that instead of paying people that have what are called soft tissue or minor injuries, um, if they just refuse to pay, that those people were not finding lawyers who would take their cases because the strategy was, well, you're right, we are liable, but we're going to make you take the case to trial. And what lawyers decided, and it makes sense because you know, lawyers are business people, that I'm not going to go to trial and spend you know, 60, 70, 80 hours of my time when their ultimate recovery is going to be eight, ten, twelve thousand dollars $12,000. So you'll find if you get in a car accident and have a soft tissue case, 
You might find a lawyer to take your case to try to negotiate a settlement, but you'll almost never find one that will sue. The city of Chicago took note of this, and they've basically taken the approach um, similar to that, that, hey, look, if we don't have huge exposure here, in other words, even if we lose this case, you know, the payout's going to be, you know, 15, 20, 25 grand, it's better for us to just refuse to to settle any of those cases and make those lawyers know, look, if you want your money, you're going to have to go to trial. And the reason it's a good strategy is, as a lawyer, you can only take so many cases to trial. And if you've got 25 cases in your office and five of them are, you know, potentially seven-figure cases and five of them are low-value cases, well, obviously you're not going to focus your time on trying these low-value cases because you can't afford to work out of principle. And if you do, the rest of your practice is going to suffer. So if they try to frustrate 10 people into saying, hey, you got to sue if you want to get any money, and seven of them choose not to sue because they can't find an attorney, well, right there they win. Now, if three of those 10 sue and one of them wins or even they, you know, they thought the exposure was only $10,000 or 20 and ends up being 50, in the long run, they, their strategy makes them a winner because that one case is less than what they would have paid had they just settled those 10 cases. It makes sense. And, you know, but here's the thing that I'm wondering as you're explaining this. What about the people who um, want to do something pro se? And I know that you know, city of Chicago and Cook County is not as pro se friendly, in my opinion, um, than some other places where they have, you know, like in DuPage, there's family court at night and they have people there to help you. Um, I wonder if that's a consideration or how many people are savvy enough to do some of these things pro se. I think almost no one's savvy enough to do it pro se because it's, number one, typically in federal court, um, which is incredibly difficult to handle even for a lawyer. The rules are completely different. And number two, you're held to the same standards as an attorney. And so while that the DuPage County Family Court, for example, yes, they'll walk you through it and they'll kind of hold your hand. But if you go out to DuPage County and want to represent yourself in a different type of case, you're on your own. And judges, just the reality is, hate pro se's because it takes way more time and the pro se's are arguing about things that aren't relevant to the case and, you know, they don't know when to talk and what to talk about when they're talking. They think that every court appearance is a trial, and judges don't want to hear it. Now, of course, if you have 100 pro se's or five or ten of them competent enough to do it on their own, absolutely. But, again, you know, in the big picture, I don't think that's a concern at all for the city. They probably love it when someone sues pro se because they know they're probably going to win that case. It's, you're probably I, – I agree with you. I agree, for certainly. Tell me a little bit about the story of the woman who um, – the, they, they shot her dog? Um, the woman that sh- – the police shot their dog? Right, right. It said in this article that it, the story, there was a story of a woman oh, where the – Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So um, ba- basically it was a situation where you know there was no basis – at least seemingly no basis for them doing it. Um, and obviously, you know, I, gosh, I have friends that their, their dogs are more important to them than their, than their children. Um, you know, but the cops show up, it's a pit bull. And, uh, you know, instead of asking questions, you know, they, they basically shot it. And uh, the city ended up spending $50,000 to an outside law firm to defend the case, even though the plaintiff's lawyer said they would have settled for less than ten grand. Um, and, you know, it's just a strange change of strategy. And, you know, you can look at that as a citizen and say, what, we wasted $50,000 in, 
in taxpayer money paying this outside law firm when we could have settled for nine or ten or eight or whatever it would have been. Uh, but the reality is, long term, the city just saved a lot of money by doing that. And of course, they won this case. Well, and she's gonna, <laughs> you know, and if uh, you know the person who lost there, um, you know, is gonna also tell other people that you just can't win. Um, I can, I can hear the, I can already hear the word on the street. Uh, you know, don't even bother. You're not, you're barking up the wrong tree. So, um, very interesting that they're following uh, the insurance companies. Have Have you heard of this uh, happening uh, anywhere else? I think chance? it's a nationwide phenomenon, quite honestly, and. You know, it, it's just a it's a cost, uh, you know, cost benefit analysis. You know, if you, people always look at it as how could they do this to me? How could you know? This is why I have, especially with your own insurance company. This is why I have insurance. And the reality is, they're not looking at you as a person in this emotional one incident that you're dealing with. Um, I see guys that get rear-ended sitting at a stoplight at 40 miles an hour, and the insurance company for the responsible party will say. Mm, you're 30% at fault, so we're going to reduce the payment by 30% you know, to fix your car, which is insane, of course. You're sitting in a stoplight. How could you be any less at fault? But the reality is if you only have property damage, you know, no lawyer is going to take on your case, and they know it. Honestly, you're way, if you want to get an attorney to help you out, you're way better off having a broken leg or hurting your back or getting some real injury because otherwise you know, you're probably going to get screwed over. It's 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 unfortunate, but it's true. Um, another case, uh, I heard someone bed bugs. I knew someone who had a bed bug problem at a university and had a very hard time finding anyone to take that. Yeah, and, and, and the problem with that case is bed bugs used to be like a niche type case. You, you know, even recently, it's like three years ago, the Habitat company got sued for bed bugs. I think at Presidential Towers, it might have been somewhere else, um, and. That ended up resulting in a pretty big award for the plaintiffs in that case. But now, you know, bed bugs are kind of, you know, just in the news everywhere. And obviously, New York is infested with them, and people have them here in their apartments. And it's gotten to the point where lawyers that used to take bed bugs cases two, three years ago, unless you get a real big injury from it, they can't because most juries are going to look at these cases and say, "You got bed bugs? Well, so do I." But I'm not suing. Yeah, that's well. It, it's <laughs> it's interesting how that phenomenon takes place, um, you know. And the, the the only other thought that I had on this city deciding not to settle cases, I, I wonder where you know what types of cases. Do you have any opinion or a thought as to uh, you know are these law division cases of you know large amounts or smaller amounts and, and what and I'm thinking of the the alternative dispute resolution uh, options that they, they send you to and whether that, uh, you know, because, I don't know, that's just another consideration, the thought that I had. You know, I, I don't know if there's an exact dollar amount. I'm sure someone at the city knows, but my guess it's probably $100,000 is the magical number. And they're never going to participate in mediation or anything like that in a small case. They they just don't have the, the motivation, they really don't. And, you know, I used to be a licensed mediator with the Center for Conflict Resolution in Chicago. And the first thing you know is if they're not two parties willing to mediate, mediate's a waste of t- mediating is a waste of time. I remember sending, um, when I worked at a family law firm, we sent our cases there for, it was when, a, I think it was anything in Cook County. DuPage, it was not like that, but in Cook, if you had a, a fee petition, and it was, these were fee petitions against former clients, so it would always go to CCR. And, um, yeah, so that was interesting. 
It is, and that's, by the way, it's a great place for anyone listening who wants a free mediation service. I mean, you can't do any better than that, and, you know, they have no incentive to do anything other than try to make sure that the process goes smoothly. So that's a great option for people. It is, it is. We're going to pause um, quickly. Well, before we pause for a break, do you have any other comments on the, the city of Chicago story? No, I just think that, you know, people have to realize that, you know, obviously times are t- tough budget-wise, and these types of analysis are going to take place. And, you know, people are going to get harmed and they're not going to get anything for it. And the hardest thing to do is to just move on with your life and let it go. But the reality is at some point you know, you've just got to do that. I can see that people on the other end of the phone might not always like hearing that because they think, oh, you know, listen to you. Who do you think you are, Mr. Right. Mr. S- smart Lawyer? And they, uh, and of course, they all assume that anyone who's a lawyer is just a, an independently wealthy as well. Of course. And you know what? The thing, the thing is, I'll get a lot of people to call me and they'll say, you know, you're the eighth lawyer who's told me that. You know, <laughs> and they think that we've all been bought off or something. But the reality is, you know, if one lawyer tells you no, it's a great idea to get a second opinion. If two lawyers tell you no, eh, maybe get one more. But when you get to number eight and you're hearing the same thing over and over and over, in your mind, you I hear this all the time, I know I've got a great case. Well, you probably don't have a great case, and there's a reason people are telling you that. You know what? Lawyers love to make money. If we thought you had a case, we'd take it. And it's it's so the other thing that's funny. There are lawyers I know who also will opinion shop and start on, on a list of phone calls um, because you know someone will stumble into something or are trying to work on jury instructions and not finding a damage awards or certain you know whatever it is. And I know I know a few individuals like this who will call one person and then call the next person and call the next person and just watch them call all of these people surveying to get the opinion without just making the decision. You know. So, I mean, lawyers do it just like clients. (laughs) Absolutely. So funny. All right, well, we're going to take a a quick break here, and then we'll be back again. For anyone tuning in, you're listening to ALRPRA's Law Talk Radio. We want to bring you uh, daily legal news uh, from actually from the world of big law and or bigger law. And today's uh, pro- news comes from the AmLaw Daily News. Uh, quote: The article is titled "The Lateral: Tomless Weigland Moves Away from the Billable Hour." Hosted by Claire Zillman again in the AmLaw Daily Legal News. When Steve Molo and Jeff Lamkin left their big firm homes of Sherman and Sterling and Baker Botts, respectively, in September of 2009 to Open their own litigation boutique, they were set on moving away from the billable hour in favor of alternative fee structures. The duo also hoped to build the New York, Washington, D.C. based practice to include 40 to 50 lawyers over the next five years. Fifteen months since their launch, Molo Lamkin is making moves on the hiring front. The firm announced Wednesday that it has recruited litigator Thomas Weigand of Winston Strawn as partner in New York. Weigand's move is a professional reunion of the veteran litigator and Molo, a close friend. The two practiced together at Winston Strawn for 15 years, teaming up to represent Sears and Roebuck in several class actions in the 1990s. Molo had joined Winston in 1986, eventually moved to Sherman before founding his own firm. A 1986 graduate of Harvard Law School, Weigand has represented both plaintiffs and defendants for more than two decades, focusing on complex business litigation, class actions, and antitrust matters, as well as defense of government investigation and prosecutions. So for more on this story and other stories for today, you can find the AMLAW Daily News by Googling AMLAW 
Daily News. Our fourth commercial uh, break, sponsor break comes from Jim Thompson and the Get Clients Now Network. Are you a solo practitioner or do you run a small law firm and want to get more clients? If this sounds like you, then there's a seasoned attorney and marketing coach you should talk to. His name is Jim Thompson, and his program is called Get Clients Now, and he'll help you take the crucial steps towards increasing your firm's revenues. The Get Clients Now program employs various time-honored techniques to help you attract new business and encourage referrals. Jim is going to be a monthly guest on the Law Talk Radio program every first Thursday of the month. After retiring from a fulfilling career as a trial lawyer, Jim focused his time on helping other attorneys find more clients. To learn more about Jim Thompson and the Midwest Consulting Group, please visit MidwestConsultants.net and also check out their testimonials on Facebook by searching Get Clients Now. ALRPRA strongly endorses the Get Clients Now program and understands the personal accountability component of this course. You can get in touch with Jim Thompson today by, get, by visiting MidwestConsultants.net. And before we get back to our program, we want to remind our listeners that our broadcast uh, links are found in social networks, and many of our, our friends and colleagues find the shows and topics uh, on others' Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn pages. So we thank you all for your support in sharing our programming by clicking the share button uh, if you find something that you think people on your network uh, might appreciate. So uh, we'll be back to our show now, and we just wanted to say hello to Michael Helfand again and uh, continue our discussion on some of the recent uh, posts here in the Chicago's Real Law blog. Again, that's chicagonow.com, and you can find the Chicago's Real Law blog there. So um, let's just go in, uh, in in order going to the next story. I really like the story you had, Michael, on the dibs parking. Oh, yeah. You know, there's an old saying, that, or at least a saying around my office that's an old saying, that there's the law as it is and there's the law as it should be. And the law as it should be is really what, you know, uh, the law as it is. So the law is that you can't park, put stuff like chairs and tables in the streets. That's how people say the law should be. But the law as it is in Chicago is really, hey, I shovel that spot, I get it. And I'm going to get it by putting my chair here. And if you park your car here, I'm going to smash your windows. And that's really what happens in the city of Chicago which for people listening in L.A. or wherever, that may be a foreign concept, but when it's been you know, 20 inches of snow and you shovel for an hour and a half to get your car out, that's just how things work. I have... Uh, a third floor. Uh, I have a third floor place in Lincoln Square, and I remember during the blizzard, um, this recent blizzard. And for anyone who's not here in Chicago, we received almost two feet of snow. I mean, it really shut down the city for a better part of the week. And there was a guy shoveling out a Ford Taurus at the corner below, and I watched this man before any of the streets were plowed was digging a perimeter around the car. We had a sign hanging out the window that said "Free the Taurus." Um, it, kind of reminder back to when the O.J. Simpson trial was going on when I went to college. <laughs> Everyone had free the juice hanging out their dorm room window. And so it was free the Taurus. And the guy dug a route around his car, didn't understand the snow plows were coming through, and which then the car was – I mean, he clearly wasn't someone who was used to snow or this type of thing happening. So um, I saw you – know, I'm right on the corner too, so I saw an intersection um, by, by my street where people were trying to – you know, you couldn't move two cars down, down the road. They had, it was like – everything was a one way it was just a mess but um i saw a lot of signs in my neighborhood and, and all sorts of different contraptions and ways that people um you know claimed their spot um what kind of stories have you also heard about um you know some of the things that happen when people don't obey or people who don't understand 
Well, you know, I, I definitely did hear of a guy who's, uh, you know, dared to park in a dip spot, and he woke up the next day, and his windows were smashed, and the air was let out of his, his tires. Um, you've heard stories of people literally coming to blows uh, because someone took a spot that they thought, that you know, shouldn't be taken. And, you know, the flip side is you work out in the suburbs, you live in the city, and you come home at, you know, 9 o'clock at night because it took you three hours in your commute to get home, and you drive around and drive around, and there's no spots available on your street except for the, you know, two spots that are, you know, separated by chairs, and there's no car in sight, and you're running low on gas, and you're starving. And, hey, I get why people would want to park there. Um, what's interesting to me is the people that think that once they start dibs, they should not stop. And it's finally this week that the city has said, hey, you know, it's getting pretty nice around here. The snow's starting to melt. Dibs is over. And if you leave your junk in the street – we're going to start taking it and throwing it away. You know what I saw? I saw uh, one of the pickup trucks with the, like the metal pickers who drive mm-hmm. around the alleys and, and grab scrap metal. I saw a truck like that grabbing things off the side of the street and putting them in the truck and, and driving away. And I thought, hmm, is this the, you know is this guy working for the city or is this guy this is just a collector? I think he probably got wind of it and went out and uh, started. Um, started, uh, you know, collecting this stuff. So here's my next question then. What would you tell someone who called you and said, um, my, uh, someone smashed my windows or let the air out of my tires. I think it's this person here. I think I have damages. I want to sue them. Um, have you ever had a call like that or what would you tell someone? You know, I, I haven't because it's the law of the street right there. And the reality is if they did call me, I tell them, look, there's nothing I can do for you. You know, you can file a police report you know, you could probably take that person to small claims court, but is it worth it to pay a thousand, fifteen hundred to a lawyer for something like that? It's not. And you know, hearing what you say about the scavengers coming, because I know, you know, up in Evanston where I am at, you know, they come down the alleys all the time. If anything's left out there, and they'll take whatever's there. Um, it's almost comical. Like you would put something in the alley for ten minutes, and it's gone. You know, by the time you come back. Um, but the reality is this is not the situation for a lawyer unless someone gets busted for, you know, hey, I punched him in the face and I got arrested because it was dibs. And, you know, it, there's really no basis for a defense, but I think maybe the prosecutors would get it uh, and, and maybe let it let it slide once cooler heads prevailed. But I could see people coming home, hey, there's a free spot. And little did I know that someone had moved those chairs earlier um, and then they left and, you know, hey, now your tires are slashed because someone else, you know, took the chairs away and you didn't know that that was a dip spot. Well, it's <clears> – I've also seen – here's another thing I've seen. Um, people writing uh, signs that said, I dug this spot out. I am not putting any furniture in the street. You are free to park here. Right, right. So No, it, no there's, it, there's, we have a picture of that on our blog where it says, I shoveled uh, two spaces, as a matter of fact, and if you park here, you're doing so, and move this chair, you're doing so at your own risk. And there's a smiley face at the bottom of that note, but you know for sure if someone parks there, there's going to be a problem. And the reality is you've got to live with these people you know, on the same block and see these people when it gets warm out and when everyone's hanging outside in the summer. So, um, again, this is just the law as it is. There's no law that says you can do dibs, but the reality is you can do dibs, the city's not. You, you call the cops and say, "Hey, there's a piano in my street or a kitchen table." <laughs> no one's going to say anything, you know. But you know, coming in a couple of days when it's 60 degrees outside, 
yeah, that that's going to be a problem for people. Um, what I thought was funny is there was a story uh, in the paper last week. There's a police officer who's just against dibs. And she, when she's off duty, not to uphold the law or anything, just because she doesn't think dibs is right, she'll go to the places where the chairs are and the tables are, and she'll move them. <laughs> you know, so, and I think her biggest complaint was people do this not just when there's a blizzard, but hey, we had an inch of snow on the ground, and it took me five minutes to shovel. I got dibs, and you know, so I think it's really where does the line come where the law of the street, everyone agrees of what it is. Oh, it's uh, you know, and it's oh, the other thing that's funny is watching people on um, some people on Facebook have uh, made different comments about what they think about it and you you could tell who is from around here and who is seeing this for the first time because and they do this in other cities too i think philadelphia um and some other east coast cities um where parking's a premium boston I'm, I'm sure but then there's other you know i mean in that then you look at um you know in new york everyone double parks and you could you know can, no one will do that here because it's just like i couldn't imagine double parking i would you know right. so yeah it exactly the law of the street wherever you are my ne- so we're moving on from dibs i want to ask you next about your article um that's titled this dumb lawsuit will ruin the popularity of lawyers tell me about right. that well, and of course that was a little tongue in cheek, but you know, one thing that I hate is lawyers that file lawsuits that make you cringe. And the reality is, most lawyers are great guys. Like, you know, the people I went to law school with were fun to hang out with. They're probably like the people you hang out with, um, and anyone who's listening hangs out with. And it's not like you get a law degree and all of a sudden you become a greedy leech that you know just wants to suck money out of people. It depends um, on when you go to reality, law school, maybe. Right, right. It's not like they, they don't inject us with a dye during law school that turns you into this type of person. <laughs> you know, And most people, I'm sure you'll remember, they go to law school with very idealistic you know, reasons and want to do good things. And they're not just getting a law degree because they think it's some pathway to get some easy money. And that's just not how it works. And the reality is most lawyers don't make a lot of money. But the perception is that you do, and the perception is that lawyers will bring any – BS lawsuit, no matter what. And what happened is at the Super Bowl, they were trying to get a record for biggest attendance, and so they created a bunch of temporary seats um, to try to get that record. And of the 2,400 that they created, I think like half of them weren't completed on time because they didn't get the permits. And so what happened is the NFL came in and they did the right thing. Uh, 800 of those people, they were able to get new seats, no problem. 400 of them, you know. They found them different areas to watch the game. They originally offered them a triple refund of their tickets. Now they've offered to give like $5,000 cash and uh, repayment of all uh, expenses that can be proved. They gave them access to the field after the game. So you can imagine if you're a Packers fan, you get to be down near the players while they're getting the trophy. An all-expensive trip to the game next year or in the alternative tickets to any Super Bowl in the future uh, of their choice, and they even made the seats transferable if anyone wanted to sell them and make them a big profit. So to me, lawsuits should be about, hey, there's a wrong, and it cannot be corrected. This was a situation where a class action attorney in Los Angeles, for whatever reason, filed a case in Dallas saying these people were robbed of the Super Bowl experience, and the NFL isn't owning up to the responsibility to properly compensate them. And I just don't get it. You know, what else could you expect more as a fan? And the reality is half these people who are complaining that they spent so much money probably illegally bought the tickets from a scalper 
so it's not like they can, you know, have this huge claim to this. And honestly, the NFL could have said, hey, sorry, here's a refund, get out of the stadium. And I think they would have been within the law. And, you know, these are the types of things that people read about where a defendant is doing the right thing and they're still getting sued. And it makes them hate lawyers in general. Yeah, uh, probably very true. And especially when defamation cases I was talking about before is particularly interesting. Before we uh, pause for our, our final break, tell me about the new court for prostitutes. Well, uh, there's a court that opened up in Cook County only, and it's basically just for prostitutes, actually just for female prostitutes. Um, and basically the goal is to rehabilitate people that are charged with prostitution uh, as a felony, um, which usually means that you're a repeat offender. So um, the, the, it's kind of like the drug programs that exist in counties, in, in different counties, and the focus is more on like rehabilitation, education, following their progress you know, once they leave the courthouse rather than just pushing them through the system to see them come back. So what will typically happen is if you get arrested for prostitution, it's a misdemeanor, you show up to court, maybe the cop doesn't show, or you know, maybe you get supervision, pay a small fine, go on your, on your way. And this court is supposed to almost act like a probation and rehabilitation officer to follow you along. Uh, it's up to each defendant to participate or not participate. Um, but while I think it's well-intentioned and all that, I, I just don't see it going anywhere. I mean, the reality is, you know, if you're a repeat offender getting charged with prostitution over and over again, you know, you'll participate to avoid jail. But are you going to stop turning tricks or doing – I can't – I just don't see it. I mean, if you have no other options to make money, you're going to do it. It's – um. You know, it's a little com. It's a comment someone made uh, about you know, the prostitute. You know, the, all the vices, um, especially um, the some of the petty drug charges in 26 in California. I mean, that think of how much money is spent um, and how much money circulates just by you know continuing to prosecute some of these individuals for um, you know arguably nonviolent crimes. Sure. Uh, you know, it's just interesting. It's like kangaroo court. No, you know, and it's similar to the drugs, too. I mean, I have a friend that's um, a border patrolman in California, and he says 90% of his time is trying to stop marijuana from getting into the country. Well, marijuana is the easiest drug for people to acquire, and for a teenager, you can probably get marijuana easier than you can get alcohol. And, you know, the reality is most people aren't harmed by it, and nothing is being done to stop it other than just to deter it, which instead of the government taxing it and making money off of it, you know, it, it's just it's a it's a victimless crime that's gobbling up resources. Well, and so <laughs> so would many make the argument about the prostitution court, and I can just hear the jokes now. Um, yeah, I, I have not yet run into, but I'm sure um, that I'll run into a friend or colleague who is uh, has cases in prostitution court. So, very interesting. We're going to take a break, and then we'll be right back, and we're going to quick give you some law practice management resources. Well, our law practice management resources today first come from ABA Publishing, then from Law Bulletin Publishing company and ALRPRA's practice management services. First from ABA Publishing, the site ababooks.org. Don't it's not .com, it's .org. There is a there is a .com actually. It's not the right site. So ababooks.org and the title of the day is Law Office Policy and Procedures Manual, 6th edition. 
This newly updated and expanded edition of the ABA bestseller includes everything you need to create a complete customized manual that can serve as a reference guide for your entire firm and as a training tool for new employees, associates, and temporary workers. Using the accompanying CD-ROM, you can edit text to produce your own firm's policies and procedures manual and revise it whenever needed. This indispensable manual covers every facet of basic law office operation and also includes material on COBRA, stress injuries, AIDS and HIV, and much more. The sixth edition contains information and policies on new statutes and amended statutes with which law firms must comply plus other areas of interest. So again, Law Office Policy and Procedures Manual, 6th edition from ababooks.org. Our second uh, pre-source, the Law Bulletin Publishing Company. When you subscribe to the Chicago Daily Law Bulletin and the Chicago Lawyer Magazine, you'll receive up-to-date legal news from Chicago and around Illinois. Also, check out the Law Bulletin blog, Attorneys in Transition, which offers advice and tips for those lawyers going through a career transition. It also hosts a monthly career seminar for a Attorneys in flux in their careers. I am one of the weekly advice columnists published by Attorneys in Transition site, and I hope that you visit the site and leave your comments at attorneysintransition.com. Finally, ABA Pract or ALR PRA Practice Management Services, consulting webinars, and hands-on desk reference materials are available for instruction in law firm management, marketing, technology, and finance. These are acclaimed services for great for young attorneys uh, in transition, especially for anyone launching a solo practice. Please visit our school page at ALRPRA.com for more information. Our final commercial message today comes from credit damage expert George Finder. Your credit score and reputation are valuable assets. If you'd suffer damage to your credit score, you should consider your damages. Credit damage expert George Finder is an expert who can put a dollar amount on damage to your credit reputation. George Finder is one of the only credit damage experts in the country, and attorneys and plaintiffs who have retained his services have earned huge damage awards in various practice areas, such as personal injury, employment law, family law, and general civil litigation. By learning to incorporate credit damage questions into the intake process, you and your staff will learn how to spot credit damage events worthy of retaining George Finder's credit damage analysis services. Available nationwide, credit damage expert George Finder is available for consulting on damage to credit reputation, and his website is creditdamageexpert.com. So again, www.creditdamageexpert.com to learn more about George Finder and his expert services. And we do also want to remind people out there listening to please share our programming and you can do so also by going to our Facebook page for Law Talk Radio by searching for Law Talk Radio on the Facebook search tab. There we uh, have events where we post our various show titles where you can find links to the archive broadcasts. Again, for callers who ever want to dial in, 917-889-9732, option one for the caller queue. And comments and suggestions are always accepted through our contact page at ALRPRA.com or by email directly at nick, N-I-C-K, at ALRPRA.com. So now moving back uh, to our show, we're back with Michael. And Michael, if we could move on, there's a couple other uh, articles I have some questions about. Uh, the next one is uh, your article here on the Illinois Supreme Court requiring lawyers to complete 30 hours of CLE every two years. Right. Uh, and the enforcement. What's what's the scoop? Well, you know, again, this is almost like the law as it is, as the law as it should be. 
it sounds great to think, oh, of course you should have continuing legal education if you're an attorney because as the public, you know, we want to know that you're continually trying to learn about the law and keep updated and all that stuff, which sounds great. And, you know, if I was going to a doctor, I would certainly want to know that that doctor has been updating himself on newest techniques and medicine and, you know, new surgeries and updates and, you know, how to treat a patient and all that stuff. But that's actually how it works if you're a doctor. You go in, you try to learn these things, because if not, you're going to get sued. And you, as a lawyer, it's the same way, but we do this without having to go to continuing legal education. So anytime an interesting topic comes up or there's a question you don't know the answer to, what happens is lawyers email people in their own practice. They email their friends. They're always talking about cases. I read the Chicago Daily Law Bulletin every single day, which always has new cases and new case law. I get a bunch of mailers on various areas of law. I read an online I have an online subscription to ICL, which is an you know, legal education company that uh provides case updates in various areas of law. I probably voluntarily and always have before this, and every lawyer I know spend at least a hundred hours a year updating myself on the law. That doesn't include all the time I spend writing my blog, thinking about my blog, all that stuff. What happens is they want you to prove that you're doing it, but you can't do it by saying something like I just said to you. You have to do it by proving that you sat there uh, and were at a class on whatever continuing legal education topic. No, by the way, it's going to probably cost you hundreds of dollars to get this done. And to me, that's just ridiculous because we're already educating ourselves. If you're not, there's no way you could possibly practice and have any success. So the motivation is there. And what happens is lawyers try to figure out what's the easiest way I can get my 30 hours of education in and be done with it. And so what I mean for me, I li- you know, I definitely listened, but I had discs playing uh on CD-ROM or over the computer on various areas of law that I could care less about, but it was the cheapest thing to buy to get my continuing le- legal education done. And every lawyer I know approaches it the same way. You know, it's I know a lot of people too who are finding a lot of online uh, providers, and <clears throat> it was yeah, so many many people even approached us uh, as an organization, you know, with law practice management and finding a way to. Um, well, actually, I had the application for MCLE accreditation, and I just didn't want to do it because there's so many people out there, uh, so many opportunities that it just it's it. Sometimes it just feels like. Uh, the people trying to uh, you know, push their programs for a CLE credit, you know, some. I mean, if again, if it's in a practice area that you seem to know, um, well, in a practice area where you uh, you need the information, you want it anyways, and you're going to go to an event. I mean, that's not what I, what I'm talking about. I'm talking about some of the uh, uh, some of the companies. There's so many of them now, and it it sort of feels like going to a mall. And you know, in the day when this, all the cell phone providers had their own little kiosk set up in the mall, and it was like cell phone wars. No, for sure. You know, and what will happen is, like, like, the first one I took was on workers' compensation, which is an area I know a lot about, and I was curious to see, is there something I'm going to learn about this that I didn't know before? Well, what ends up happening is the guy giving the presentation, it was an hour and a half, did an overview of workers' compensation, and it was all things that I knew. Now, it was worthless to me. It's worthless to my clients. I literally did not learn one new thing, and... They think it's great because, hey, I can prove I just spent an hour and a half 
learning something that I already know. And it's just it's just ridiculous. It's again, it's perception versus reality. We want the public to perceive that lawyers are learning and continually learning. And the reality is if the people making these decisions don't realize that we're doing this anyway because we have to to survive, then they probably don't practice and have no clue how lawyers really work. I believe I believe you're right, and I, I think that's uh, that's a good that's a good comment. Um, I want to ask you. We have about five minutes left. I want to ask you, moving on to um, your piece about the Chicago police and that they might be in my garbage right now. Yeah, you know, and <laughs> not to make anyone paranoid, but the reality is, um, if you take your garbage out to the street or the alley or wherever you put it, whether you're in Chicago or the suburbs or downstate. In Illinois, at least, the cops can look through your garbage. So there was a case where Sean Gale used to play for the Bears, and he's not involved as a, a suspect, but his pregnant girlfriend was murdered by uh, one of his former former girlfriends, uh, at least allegedly. And uh, when doing a search to try to find out if there was anything about that suspect uh, that would you know tie her to this case, the cops went through her garbage. And the reality is, you can, the police or me or you or anyone can go through someone's garbage once it's off the property because the expectation is that you have no right of privacy when it's something you're getting rid of. And it's similar to earlier we were talking about how you place something in the street or the alley and some guys might come by and collect it. Well, the expectation is you don't want that once it's out there. On the other hand, if you've got a basketball sitting in your front porch and someone came by and took it, that would be stealing. So, they tried to get the evidence that was taken from the trash can thrown out, saying it was a violation of the privacy for the cops to go through her garbage, and the judge said no, it's legal. And that's not surprising, and it's, to me, clearly the right thing to do. You have no expectation that those things in your trash are yours now. I mean, they're going to be thrown into a dump. Do you think that they can't look at them when they go in the dump? Is that any difference? I don't think it is. I think that the, the, the you know most of the people just – are you know believe that someone's not going to, well I, I'm not going to say that they believe someone's not going to use the information or things they find in their trash because uh, you know people go through the process of shredding to make sure that people don't um, you know steal credit card numbers that are in the trash. Absolutely, and shame on you if you don't do that. Right, exactly, and you know it's just common sense in in being you know a sensical person. Um, you know another interesting thing is you're talking about people going through the garbage. It reminds me that you know while the police can go through your garbage, one thing that people um, you know may or may not know is what police and law enforcement and attorneys and investigators can and can't do with social media pages. Um, I, I, I attended a teleseminar recently uh, that the ABA put forth uh, talking about people in law firms. Well, I, I don't think it wasn't directed at people in law firms, but the suggestion was that if you have to uh, use any false or deceptive means to, um, you know, Facebook, you know, find someone's friend on, you know, be someone's friend on Facebook, if you, you know, go and you know, take a fake picture and, you know, masquerade as uh, someone in their peer group or, or whatnot, or I haven't even heard of people copying uh, other people's Facebook uh, profiles, you know, or tried to. That's a very interesting area too. Yeah, you know, and it's actually unethical for an attorney to go in and basically do their own investigation by pretending to be someone to be friends. But what will happen is, and it's never, it's one of those wink-wink things that you're not supposed to ask for, but everyone knows it's going to happen, is you'll hire a private investigator to check someone out. And you know for sure that private investigator is going to go in 
and pretend to be a friend or find any way they can to access that Facebook page. And again, you know, the attorney's probably knowing about it, but they're never going to say, hey, I directed him to do it, because if they direct you to do it, technically it's unethical and not supposed to happen, but it happens. I think what also happens a lot are there are people out there who may <laughs> you think they're your friend uh <laughs> but uh, right. will then cooperate with the PI and say oh really you want to see what's going on here well I'll show you so you know very another very interesting thing um you know we work with people uh, on ethics and social and, you know safety with social media policies pretty frequently and you know so that's one of the things that I often talk about is you know again why would you brag about the crime you committed on Facebook that's just it's so right. stupid <laughs> it's so stupid so anyways thank you michael thanks again for being on today um i hope that we'll be able to have you back again and and do you know continue um some discussions like this can you give people some contact information so they know how to find you sure you can always contact me through my contact page on findgreatlawyers.com or uh, call me at 312-346-5320 all right thank you so much again for being our guest today michael all right thank you all right, and we also want to thank our commercial sponsors today. We had, one, Mary Erlane of Peak Marketing Sales in LMI Riverside. Secondly, we had Nancy K. Ducharme from the law offices of Nancy K. Ducharme. Third, Jim Thompson of the Midwest Consulting Group and the Get Clients Now program. Fourth, credit damage expert George Finder. Some upcoming shows we have to tell you about next week, February 21st. We'll be talking about the pitfalls of defamation litigation. Um, we have a couple of attorneys who are going to talk about uh, different things, and some of it is very interesting in, in the area of discovery. So the, uh, on February 22nd, we have securing and litigation, litigating government contracts. A government contractor from Washington, D.C will be our guest talking a little bit about the process of uh, finding and negotiating those government contracts and then also the opportunity to litigate uh, when someone uh, or another competing uh, entity gets uh, a con government contract on uh, where there are allegations of nepotism or wrongdoing or some other um, bad acts. So that'll be interesting. Then on February 24th, Laurel Bellows and Marcus Harris are two attorneys who will be talking about avoiding pitfalls in employee transitions. Laurel Bellows uh, works in the area of transactional executive compensation agreements, and Marcus Harris in his intellectual property law firm uh, works on uh, some of the issues involving intellectual property rights and uh, things as people are leaving trade secrets and such and so forth. So that'll be just a couple great shows uh, coming up. Again, ALRPRA.com. We've got a Law Talk Radio page. Also find us on Facebook um, by searching for Law Talk Radio. So again, we thank everyone for participating. And by way of disclaimer, again, this is a general information program the advice chart on the show does not constitute legal advice results may vary based on your specific facts and location communications with attorneys on this show does not give rise to attorney client relationships and this program means politically neutral and objective and counterpoints to views expressed are always welcome again alrpra does not necessarily endorse all the opinions expressed by guests and callers in this show and finally all callers remain confidential and all rights to this broadcast are reserved by alrpra incorporated these law talk radio broadcasts are programmed to bring our attorney and non-attorney audiences the tips, tools, and practice area information they can use to be better formed practitioners and consumers of legal services. With our guests and listeners located worldwide, we appreciate the opportunity to use this socially networked radio program to bring people together and share collective intelligence. Again, this is Nick Augustine for ALRPRA Incorporated, and we thank you for your time. <laughs>